Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Hey, Merry Christmas, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to our Sunday service. We are so close now. It is only five days till Christmas. I hope that you are finished with all of your Christmas shopping, that you're done with all your Christmas cards, and that you can have some time here to relax and enjoy and reflect on this season. You know, if you're a parent, uh, one of the questions that you've probably been asked or are going to be asked a lot in your life is, how many days until? How many days until my birthday? How many days until uh, school is out? How many days till Halloween? How many days till Thanksgiving? How many days until Christmas? Now, I'm convinced that the Advent calendar was created just so parents don't have to answer that question throughout the entire month of December. Right? You have a countdown calendar. Just go look. How many days until? That's an expression of excitement and of love. What you're counting down to is what you love. You know, as adults, we, we can grow jaded and less excited about things, but it's no less true. Whether you're counting down to a kickoff or counting down to a wedding or a due date, what you're counting down to is what you love. And so we light candles every Sunday in Advent, counting down as an expression of our love. And this Sunday, we light the candle that symbolizes love. We light this candle in love for God, for our people, and for those not yet born of God. As many of you know, um, my parents were missionaries in Japan. I, I grew up there. And there are very few Christians in Japan. And so to the extent that Christmas is observed, uh, it's observed not as a religious holiday, but as an outgrowth of Western influence, a cultural appropriation, basically. So it's not really a holiday, right? All the stores will be open on December 25th. But you'll see some Christmas lights. You'll see some Christmas tree displays, even. You'll hear some Christmas music. But the big thing is Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve in Japan is like our Valentine's Day, right? The restaurants are packed because all the couples are going out. They have a nice meal. They exchange gifts. It's a day of romance. Now, you may kind of laugh at that thinking, well, where did they get that idea? And then you turn on the Hallmark Channel. Oh, see, we, we kind of have the same thing going on, don't we? Right? Christmas and romance. Christmas and romance. See, our culture so desperately wants Christmas to have meaning, but it doesn't know how to get there. You know, our world knows that, you know, Christmas is about love in, in, in some way. And the most profound love we can think of is romantic. Now, the Christmas story is a love story. Right? For, for God so loved the world that he gave. It's a love story. But it's definitely not meant for Hallmark. 
Now, the scripture that goes along with our Advent candle today is from Hosea. Hosea was a prophet that God commanded to marry a faithless woman. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. This is how the love story starts out. This is the picture that God gives to us. Adultery. That's not exactly warm and fuzzy. That's not very romantic. It's, it's not a meat cute, as they say in the film business. But that's how God describes this relationship. God reaches out to humanity through the people of Israel. He claims them for himself like a bride, and he's faithful to them, and he loves them, and cares for them, and is good to them. And yet, he says this in Hosea, She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold which they used for Baal. Therefore I will take away my grain when it ripens, and my new wine when it is ready. I will take back my wool and my linen, intended to cover her naked body. So now I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. No one will take her out of my hands. I will stop all her celebrations, her yearly festivals, her new moons, her Sabbath days, all her appointed festivals. I will ruin her vines and her fig trees, which she said were her pay from her lovers. I will make them a thicket, and wild animals will devour them. I will punish her for the day she burned incense to the bales. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers. But me she forgot, declares the Lord. Therefore I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice and love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. In that day I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies, and they will respond to the earth, and the earth will respond to the grain, the new wine, and the olive oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people, and they will say, you are my God. Those are some emotionally charged statements. It's a totally broken relationship. When we think about Gomer, this is not a single act of indiscretion, as devastating, as destructive as that would be for any marriage. You know, maybe a marriage could survive that. Maybe you could forgive that in time, working hard, doing marriage counseling. Maybe you could move past that. Maybe. But this isn't just once. No, this is habitual betrayal. 
This is repeated unfaithfulness. Gomer is not fighting for the marriage. She's not interested in marriage counseling. This is as broken and as dead a marriage as it could possibly be. That's how this love story starts. God loved his bride and gave her good things, new wine and grain and oil and lavishes her with with silver and gold, but she's unfaithful. So then uh, God tries some tough love. He says, okay, I'm going to take away the grain. I'm going to take away the wine. I'm going to take away the clothes and the feasts and the new moons and the Sabbaths, right? Tough love. God cuts her off like you would an addict. Uh, there's a book, it's also a, a movie called uh, The Sweet Hereafter. And in the story, this father has a daughter named uh, Zoe, who's a drug addict that he's been enabling. And the father is reflecting on this, and he recalls a moment when his daughter Zoe was three. And he starts to tell the story about this time when his wife and his daughter were on vacation in a cottage. And he notices that his little girl is swelling up and her breathing is labored. And so he thinks that she must have been bitten by something. But the nearest hospital is 40 miles away. So he calls a doctor. The doctor thinks that there must have been a a nest of baby black widows in the mattress. And he tells them they need to rush to the hospital before her throat closes. And, And listen to the rest of that story. And when the doctor said that I, I had to hold her on my lap and let Clara drive to the hospital, he asked me to bring a small, sharp knife. He said it had to be clean, there was no time to sterilize properly. He explained how to perform an emergency tracheotomy. to a throat the windpipe without causing the bleed to death. He said there would be a lot of blood. And I said, I didn't think I could do it. He's, he said, Mr. Stevens, if her throat closes up and her breathing stops, you're going to have to. You'll have about a minute and a half, possibly two minutes, and she'll probably be unconscious when you do it. But if you manage to keep her calm and relaxed, Not let a little heart beat too fast. Uh, and spread the poison around. You might just make it here first. Now you get going, he said. He hung up. It was an unforgettable drive. I was divided into two parts. One part was Daddy singing a lullaby to his little girl, and the other part was surgeon with a knife ready to cut into her throat. I waited for the second Zoe's breath stopped to make the incision. Go as far as I was prepared to go. 
That's a haunting image. You know, a father holding his child with a knife in his hand, ready to cut, prepared to harm in order to save. You know, later on in the story, his daughter Zoe calls him wanting help, wanting uh, more money. And as he's listening to her, that that image of him holding her with, with the knife comes into his mind. And the question is, is he done enabling her? Is he prepared to do what's needed? No more money, no more rescue, no more help. Is he prepared to cut her off because he loves her? Sometimes God's love needs to cut. But then something strange uh, happens here, right? He says in verse 14, I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. He's going to speak tenderly to his wayward bride and restore her. God says these words to Hosea, chapter 3, verse 1. The Lord said to me, go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. It's not Gomer's initiative here. She's not coming back to Hosea on her own. That'd be one thing, right? If there were contrition or repentance, if Gomer came to Hosea in that posture, that'd be one thing, but she doesn't. Hosea has to go to her. How humiliating would that be? That's the picture God gives of him reaching out to us in love. It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that is what Jesus comes to do. While we were still sinners, while we were not fighting for the marriage, God was. That night in Bethlehem is God going to his wayward bride and speaking tenderly to her in unfathomable humility. Now, why would he do that? I mean, isn't that just uh, enabling? Isn't that just a, a white knight syndrome? Have you ever seen that? You know, all kinds of people have foolishly believed that, that their love would change someone. But most of the time, it doesn't. You know, there's something broken there that, that, that needs to be fixed first. There's something broken in Gomer. There's something broken in Zoe. There's something broken in the Israelites that their response to God's love was adultery. The problem was never God's love. No, he always loved us rightly and perfectly. So, so why is this time going to be any different? But this is different. See, something else is going on here. He says in Hosea, There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. The relationship is going to change. There will be true affection. How? Well, God says in Jeremiah chapter 31, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. 
It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. See, Jesus doesn't come just to love us. He comes to transform us. And that's why this time it'll be different. He always loved. He was always faithful, but we weren't. There was something broken in us. And so Jesus comes to institute a new covenant to write his law on our minds and on our hearts. Jesus comes to transform us, to fix the brokenness in us so that we can love him so that we can be faithful to him, as we always should have. He says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. He's calling his people. He's making a promise to his bride. Only this time, it'll be different. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called, not my loved one. I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. This is a new covenant in Christ. And a bride that is not wayward or adulterous, but made holy by Christ, as it declares in Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. These are pictures, these are images that God gives to us to help us understand. But don't get lost in the imagery. This is not romantic love. Even that is too trivial a thing. This is an infinitely more profound love. And the joy and intimacy and comfort and blessings of human marriage are just shadows of things to come in relation to Christ. You know, the kingdom of God is described as a wedding banquet. And we wait for that day and long for that day as the bride of Christ in holy anticipation. How many days until? How many days until counting down the days to what we love? Now, we have a lot of slogans in Christianity. One of the popular ones when I was growing up was, True love waits. True love waits. That's an appeal to discipline, an appeal to commitment, to holiness, to righteousness above all. But I'm speaking of the church. Paul said to the church in Corinth, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. 
But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Are we purely devoted to Christ? We were broken and faithless and unrepentant adulterers. And yet he loved us and sought us out and restored us and healed us and clothed us and lavished us with silver and gold. And should we then respond with faithlessness? May it never be. May it never be. No, he has betrothed us in righteousness. He has betrothed us in justice. He has betrothed us in faithfulness. And so we live our lives committed to righteousness and holiness and godliness, counting down the days till the bridegroom returns. Because true love waits. But maybe we really haven't been very faithful. Maybe if we search our hearts, we'll find adultery. We'll find idolatry. We'll find something else that has preeminence for our love. We'll find that our hearts are not purely devoted to Christ. And if so, we need to bring that before God in confession. We're going to have an opportunity to reflect and confess our sins when we partake of the Lord's Supper in a bit. You know, one of the things that we recite for communion is from Corinthians, which says, On the night that he was betrayed... Think about that. On the night that he was betrayed, on the night that he was abandoned, on the night that he was denied, he offers us communion. Communion, that's, that's what the Lord's Supper is, isn't it? Communion. On the night that he was betrayed, he gives us communion. Hosea going after Gomer. And he institutes the, the new covenant that he promised in Jeremiah, right? putting his law in our minds, writing it on our hearts, for he will be our God and we will be his people, his church, his bride. Thanks be to him. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.